episode three of the Fellas Think Tank podcast. Today we've got Kevin Gorn, who is a libertarian from America, and hopefully we're going to talk about uh, the, the, the news from this week and also discuss what's been going on with um, his ex-party now, Kevin, I guess. Um, right, yes. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully a new organizations are going to come up and we can talk about those as well. That would be absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. You are listening to The Think Tank, the unofficial NAFO podcast, brought to you by your best brain-damaged dogs and friends. Now please welcome your hosts, Matt, the TOIFO CEO, and Joe Place. My name is Kevin Gulhan. I am from Pennsylvania, the United States. Uh, I was a longtime libertarian, um, 20-some years. I think I became a libertarian in high school, even. I found a little card on the bulletin board, and uh, it was the world's smallest political quiz. And I took it, answered the questions, and I discovered what libertarianism is. As time went on, I became more involved in the party. I got to the point where I uh, rose to the level of executive director of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, and uh, which is a state level libertarian party. And our job was to get candidates on the ballot. For example, if we have a presidential election, our job in the state is to get that uh, presidential candidate on the ballot in our specific state. And each state has you know different ballot access rules and whatnot. Uh, I did that for three years. At the end of those three years, the organization, the entire libertarian party was taken over by an organization called the Mises Pack. It was a hostile takeover, and they took over all the state parties first. Well, not all of them, but about 40 of them. And then once they had enough delegates to conquer the national party, they went to the national convention in Reno, Nevada. Uh, that was last year, 2022. And uh, they took the party over. And I think that's how you folks became interested in this, because ever since then, they've been promoting a lot of what I think is Kremlin propaganda. And they do it from our official... Twitter accounts or official social media, uh, they're basically parodying whatever Russia is saying. So thanks for having me on the show. I'd love to talk about this. Yeah, I, I've definitely, I will get more into this shortly, but um, I, I've been watching, you know, American libertarian movement at this heart complete takeover. Of, is it Mises? I thought it was Mises. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, some people say Mises. Some people say Mises. I say Mises. It, it's okay. a potato, right? Yeah, and uh, it's just it's just mad to me how they and it, this is it mirrors nicely with our last episode. So in the last episode we talked with um, Jack, who is uh, he's on the the left in the UK, and we talked about the left in the UK. And they've got a very there's a similar problem in that there's a I would say a minority but a very loud one which have taken over certain institutions and have promoted a lot of Russian pro Russian stuff. And I yeah. think in America, okay, you do have that, but to be honest with you, you're, the left in America is that is smaller right. and libertarianism has more prominence in the usa for one reason or another 
and seeing them become similar with the socialists i don't really understand it russia is not a friend of socialists and it's not a friend of libertarians and seeing right. both these people support them makes absolutely no sense to me um, right and this is and you know and we in nafo i don't speak for anyone we, there is no voice there is no leader you know it's not george soros or whoever you people might <laughs> or redacted um, yeah yeah and but you know in my experience you know nafo is a broad church it has people all across the spectrum and i think it's important for us to talk about these challenges that different political ideologies face and find ways to combat the nonsense and also it, i think there's a good way of us coming together across political divides to work against mm. genuine threats yeah um but yeah so but first of all let's just talk about the news what's been going on i mean to be honest with you uh, the, the the worst thing that happened was the big missile strikes a few days ago in ukraine again it came after a few days and going they haven't got any missiles left but then there were the attacks on infrastructure to attacks all over Ukraine again. Not been anything for the last few days. I've not heard an air raid siren here in Ukraine for the, uh, since I came back. I was on holiday. But yeah, uh, that's sort of the main thing. Not loads to say about that. They said it was a retaliation for the attacks in Bryansk. Bryansk sorry. Uh, I don't know how true that is. They always like to claim it's some sort of defensive thing. Yeah. I, I think that whenever they are doing not great on the battlefield, whenever something's not going wrong, they always try to do this. What is nice, we do seem to continually have electricity and infrastructure across a lot of Ukraine anywhere, which is nice. But that's the main thing. And Bakhmut is the other thing that seems to be ever on the discussion. And I'm going to get into that in copium in a little bit. But <laughs> I think it's this never-ending thing of it's holding. Oh, no, they've withdrawn. Oh, no, it's holding. And we, we, it, it, and at the end of the day, we're not going to know. And if if I do think... If Ukraine withdraws, I don't think it's a big deal. When people go, oh, it's not a big deal when you lose it, but it's a big deal if you hold it. It's like, well, yes, because it's a defensive position. That's that's how it works. And every day that Ukraine has held Bakhmut has been a thorn in the side of the Russian offensive. I think this is a really, this is a big thing. And if Ukraine decides it's not worth holding, I completely understand. And it's not the end of the war. Uh, Russia has lost so much to just... Do this it's it's incredible really anyway so yeah okay what else news what else do we want to talk well about? i was going to talk about those missiles actually because yeah, uh, it was quite interesting because the russian telegram was on fire about them being the kinzhal hypersonic missiles how many times have we heard it where they've just posted this constantly and they had an actual missile expert on the radio and i was listening to what he was saying and he said they're small and inaccurate so he he put them in the same sort of areas of the v2 bombs uh in world war ii where they're just designed to terrorize civilians um they don't actually have any uh, military use because they you fire them and off they go and you just hope that they hit somewhere they can't be shot down which is why they're using them, I guess. But that's basically all they do is they're just designed to scare people. Anything else from news, Matt, you want to add before? Um, no, it seems we just seem to be in a bit of a waiting pattern, don't we? Holding pattern. Well, we can talk a bit about Georgia, but um, maybe Kevin, do you want to add anything first about what's been going on lately? So I'm not entirely familiar with the situation in Georgia. I've never been to Georgia, but I am reading English language news sources and I see that, you know, the protests going on and i understand that there's some bill that's going through their parliament or perhaps isn't anymore uh, about the foreign agents and basically 
it seems like a method of Russia controlling the discussion in Georgia. I understand there's a bill almost exactly like it that has passed into law in Russia. So I think a lot of the people in Georgia that I've been speaking with online seem to think that this bill was written by someone in Russia and they're trying to get it through the Georgian parliament. And I can understand the reason for the outrage because this would essentially criminalize anyone talking about joining the EU, joining NATO within Georgia. Yeah, so you're pretty much right. So the the law is to say that NGOs and anyone can't receive funding, they must be declared as a foreign agent, which is very dangerous because then you're entering a game of who is loyal to the regime. There's right. a lot of implications. And this is something we touched on in our very first episode when we talked about the Georgian government has got a lot of ties to Russia due to one reason or another. And they, they are very much sabotaging their path to the European Union with this. And wherever you think of the European Union, this is a direction a lot of Georgians, a lot of pro-democracy, pro-freedom Georgians want. And, and yeah, and th- there were the protests. And yes, the law, they said it was going to be uh, got rid of. But now they're also demanding that this definitely happens. And they a lot and some people, I'm not sure. This is one of those things where there's a lot of things on the ground and a lot of misinfo. Uh, I would love it if anyone could clarify. I'm also hearing a lot of the protests want the government to resign and for something more substantial. I don't know if that's 100%. I'm always wary. I don't speak Georgian. So I'm always wary to say anything with too much confidence on this. But it is really an interesting time, um, I think. And I think that, yeah, I think Russia has a lot of interest in trying to keep its its area of influence because it's effectively losing it more and more uh, every, that's the funny thing they they sabotage themselves with everything right. they do uh, and if they had been better to these countries to ukraine to the baltics whatever they could have had a working relationship and the, right. uh, by forcing it yeah yeah there could have been a russian union by now you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. they have the um the, the cis the commonwealth and independent states but right. more countries want to leave it because of what russia's doing and so they could have had a strong sort of economic union but no. <laughs> right what, and what, what concerns me is the uh the tweet that went out from the ministry of foreign affairs of russia in crimea did you see that one they're yeah. basically threatening georgia if they don't pass this law threatening them with invasion and it's it's a mafia style threat from an official government twitter account of russia i, I couldn't believe that i couldn't really believe that to be honest but also uh, okay yeah they have some russian soldiers in parts of georgia but i i really doubt they could open up a, a, a front against georgia now how would they uh, i just don't think I, I don't know if they're just threatening them whether it's an empty threat but it was kind of i, I don't know they have no idea how to present themselves to, like, no one's going to be sympathetic to you if you're going to be threatening Georgia to pass a law. It's not your country to determine what laws they pass. Right. What, what they're doing is they're risking a situation similar to what we saw in 1989. And all these countries in Eastern Europe are suddenly realizing, hey, we don't have to be part of this anymore. And this front opens up everywhere and they can't maintain that. And we're looking at a possible collapse of the Russian Federation if they continue interfering in the affairs of all these surrounding countries i'm I'm not someone who's like convinced that russia will fragment lots of countries but i do think there is a very real chance that some regions will demand autonomy especially chechnya i think mm-hmm. which, i think that's very likely um and uh, i don't know i haven't got a crystal ball but i do think russia is yeah it is risking its own stability and its own security 
for its own gains. And this is the funny thing. Like Putin's power was very much cemented on this idea that it, standards of living for at least some people in Russia did improve over his regime. And uh, but that not everything that has gone well is is you know buildings that were built under him have been on fire. That everything is being lost. Every achievement, at least in stability and resources for certain people. I'm saying this with like big quotation marks. Uh, I realize people aren't going to be watching this, but I am doing it with my hands. But, you know, some people's lives have improved and now they are going backwards. And it's just that's that social contract, I think, broke. Well, I'm not worried in some ways. In some ways, I'm excited to see what happens. But I don't know. Russia can always get worse. Historically, it's shown it can always. (laughs) (laughs) We never know where they're going to go, but they can get worse. That's true. I'm I'm just concerned that, you know, Putin has painted himself into a corner and he might, you know, use a nuclear weapon to show that he's still powerful and he's still got it. That's what concerns me the most. Yeah, Matt, I'm talking a lot. Maybe you will have a thought on that. Well, I was just I was just going to pipe in and say that um, there was a I don't know how accurate you can call it, but a poll or a survey of Russians. And it seems to be that the large working class population in Russia is still on board with Putin and they still believe that Ukraine doesn't really exist as a proper country. Georgia doesn't really exist as a proper country. They still see that as Russia's, uh, it's called a sphere of influence, isn't it? And it's called a multipolar world, but it's an empire. Let's, Let's be honest about it now. And that's where they see their place in the world as owning this particular empire. And unless they're defeated, I don't see it going any other, any other way, really. Um, it's just delusional. That's from my my point of view, anyway. But I, I read a poll that said the opposite the other day. I think polls oh, are so. Okay. You to... can't really judge it. No, um, it, it it wasn't the statement like "Do you oppose Russia?" It was you know it was more mild than that because they have to be right. You can't yeah. up you on can't. the phone to Russia and say "Do you yeah. hate Putin?" Everyone's going to say "No, of course not." Because yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was generally yes. There was a dec- this poll. I should have got it ready for this podcast, but I didn't. I'll find it later. It did say basically the support has drifted people already to sort of pack it in across different graphics, which is interesting. Uh, okay. uh, it's not that the majority, but it has decreased. I think that's notable data. Yeah, yeah, I think this this was about whether you actually whether they saw Ukraine, Ukrainians, and Georgians as separate countries um so it's a slightly different slant isn't it so they they can disagree with the war but they can they can agree that they want the soviet union back uh they want to make make russia great again or whatever it is there's a lot of nostalgia going around at the moment isn't there it could be that people who are even under 30 who don't remember the cold war they don't remember any of that it could be that they are taught some sort of propaganda that this is all one country georgia and ukraine are part of it and there's a there's a lot of Soviet nostalgia, not just in Russia, but as you see, talking to the left in England or wherever. I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia for that USSR era. There definitely is, and yeah, and you're right. In schools, there is um, there's a a lot of effort to play up Russia's role in World War Two, and also right. to boost the image of Stalin. Uh, I think we there's a video circulating of a guy who um, was arrested for just saying something bad about Stalin on the anniversary of his death. The police just jumped on him and started beating him up. And they, that's just forgetting that Khrushchev um, 
said very, very bad things about Stalin, and he personally knew the guy. You know, the, the, there is definitely some kind of um, sort of historical cult, personality cult, yeah, being um, developed in Russia at the moment. I don't like to speculate too much because obviously I've not been to a Russian school and it is a big country, but I definitely think from what I understand from people who have lived there and things like that, you know, it's gotten worse over the last few years, particularly in Russia, the the indoctrination, the things like that. I, I think it is getting worse. It has been getting worse for a while. Uh, and I think one of the main things from what I understand is it's, yeah, it's role in this, in, the, in the World War Two. This is, it's a bit similar in Britain, to be fair. We did have it quite similar. You know, Britain saved the day. We, I think it's kind of similar in some ways, but obviously not as insidious. But, you know, they do sort of emphasize how they were the ones that fought the, that defeat of fascism and everyone was against them. And I actually know some people who, you know, went to school here in Ukraine in the 90s and they say how basically they had the same Soviet history in those early days. And it was very much, they completely ignored the other allies they sort of presented it as it was just a ussr and yeah a few friends it's it's very interesting how it shine a light but this is why i think there's a bit of similarity in the west because i remember being learning i don't remember learning loads about the ussr's contribution or uh, other conflicts in our education of world war ii but i do think at least we could talk about it i don't think i think now you'd get in trouble probably and also at least we say world war ii started in 1939 not 1941 Okay, cool. I think that sort of wraps up news, but I went a bit off topic there, but that's okay. Um, so let's talk a bit about NAFO. So, Kevin, why did you, how did you find NAFO? So I have been fascinated with uh, Russian disinformation for about, I don't know, say, since about 2014, since I really became cognizant of it operating in the United States. And in the United States, uh, the Russian state has a TV channel called RT or had, I don't think it still is an operation. Um, I recall that they were just constantly putting out all this anti-American stuff. They were talking about things that people are upset about, almost as if they're trying to foment dissent inside the United States. Turns out they were, of course. In fact, I wrote uh, two science fiction novels, and this was sort of a theme in the first one about how Russia is, you know, trying to foment problems inside the United States because we have you know, dissident groups, we have breakaway groups. We, I mean, we have the same sort of problems that every country has. And Russia knows this, and they're always poking at the seams, trying to get it to fall apart. So that's when I became really aware of what's going on. And at the time, you know, everyone says, well, it's just a conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. Well, now people see that it's it's real. Not only are they buying off media people, but they're buying off politicians. And uh when I saw firsthand what was happening in my own political party, the Libertarian Party, one that I had worked so hard to build, that's when I saw NAFO online and I said, you know what, I'm joining these guys because something has to be done about this Russian disinformation. There is no Western counterpart to the absolute industrialized scale of Russian disinformation. It's just, it's incredible. They're light years ahead of the Western world in terms of that. I noticed this in a lot of debates in the US, you know, um, you had like Democrats blaming Russia for why Trump was elected and people go, oh, you just blame Russia for everything. And maybe there's an element of truth in that, right, that the Democrats played a poor campaign, Hillary Clinton's unpopular. We, yeah, fine. But that doesn't mean that Russia weren't benefiting. It doesn't mean that they weren't there. I mean, it was right. pretty quite evident. And especially now, we, I think it's easy for us maybe now to see it. I think it was so... Right. We, we, we hadn't quite the tools. We weren't quite ready to see like this way social media conversation could be manipulated, I think. Right. And 
what I didn't understand about Russian propaganda at the time, I mean, no one ever teaches this. You, you don't learn this anywhere. They're not so much propagandizing about how they're right. They're mm -hmm. causing chaos. The, mm -hmm. the point of Russian disinformation is to cause chaos so that your facilities to determine what is true and what isn't are fatigued, right? So they want you to just turn on the news and say, I don't know if this is true or not. Who cares? And you become apathetic. And once you're politically apathetic, you are docile and you are controllable. And that's exactly what they've been doing in Russia for years. So to look at the campaign of Donald Trump, we know now that there was Russian influence, heavy Russian influence in his campaign. And people these days are still saying it's a conspiracy theory. Well, the U.S. Senate released an intelligence committee report about the scale of Russian disinformation during the 2016 campaign. And it's substantial. They are involved in everything. They're like an octopus with tentacles and all, all these different media organizations, political organizations. We see it here in this country. For example, the Green Party in the United States. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, in 2016, their presidential candidate, Jill Stein, was pictured at a dinner with Putin in Moscow. Well, it turns out the Russians had boosted her campaign. Why? Because it would take votes from Hillary Clinton, which would help Donald Trump. So they're just in everything. And now they're in the Libertarian Party, which is what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Green Party in the US, um, Joe Stein and stuff, it's... I understand, you know, why people gravitate towards these parties. And yet when you look at what they've become, it's... Yeah, it is worrying. Sorry, at that dinner party, General Flynn was there as well. Yes, is he that was. Interest? And there is something in Russian propaganda called the Temnik, uh, which is like a theme. Um, so these are distributed out to various um, sort of high-level propagandists, um, but they're only distributed by word of mouth. They're not written down anywhere. Um, and then they are distributed out to all the various sort of smaller groups who then propagate it and it's interesting when you see people at the highest level gathering together like that because it's as if these this is where these things are decided this is how this is going to work so it's, it was um it was a bit of an eye-opener for me and we i've been looking at some of the green party stuff and maybe it's for the future there seems to be a lot of old, what i would term ultra left people in the american green party way i mean it's not the same green party as we had we would expect in europe I, I, it looks to be sort of a mixture of um, Maoism and environmental sort of catastrophism. It, it's, it's almost like a, a millennial-style death cult or something like that, where they're just expecting the whole world to be destroyed. Uh, and it's a very strange party, and I'm not quite sure where it fits nowadays, but um, um, maybe we'll do another program about them. So we, we have a strange political system here. I mean, we don't have any sort of proportional representation like you might have in the UK or whatever. Um, yeah, we we have uh, first past the post voting. So the person with the highest vote total wins that seat in that district. And what that tends to do is conglomerate power in very few parties, basically two. I think it's called Diverges Law. Is that the name of it? So in the U.S., you have this strange melding of environmentalists and far left people in the Green Party, whereas you won't see that elsewhere. The Green Party has very few elected people, and they're probably only at the local level. And the same with the Libertarian Party. So politics makes some very strange bedfellows over here in the United States, even even the Republicans and Democrats, the two largest parties. When you look at how diverse those big tent parties are, I don't understand how they stick together. But yeah, Russia is definitely working on that. And I want to add something about the Green Party that I just thought of. It has come to light now, years later, that 
Russia was working with the Green Party because they are opposed to fracking for gas. Okay, their Green Party is opposed on environmental grounds, but of course Russia is opposed because they don't want us drilling for gas over here. Why? Because we can load it onto a natural gas tanker, take it over to Europe, and then Europe is not as dependent on Russia for gas. So it, it's just fascinating how Russia is finding groups based on specific interests who will work against a specific American interest because it benefits Russia. I mean, it, it's it's manifold. It's just amazing what they do. I mean, I, it's disgusting to me, but at the same time, I just I'm in awe of what they do. Yeah, e evil always has a good work ethic. It's it's a real shame. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yes. No. Yeah, we also have a, a first past the post system in the UK, and so within our both our major parties have quite broad churches, and our smaller parties like Greens and UKIP have at various times attracted sort of a bit of a broad church within themselves. Yeah, I mean, generally in the UK, there's three parties that have seats. Oh, the Greens have two, one or two MPs, and. UKIP used to have one, but now, then the guy went independent. So, yeah. But yeah, we do see similar things and fringe views that seem to be promoted that might, you know, they might sound, they might have a reasonable justification to some people. You know, I understand the opposition to fracking, but when your opposition is based upon that, then it's something, there is something worrying there. Like, the way they got the tendrils into the libertarian parties, because libertarians hate government, they just, they hate the state. I know government is, means something different in the UK, but they hate the state. They hate any sort of authority or control, you know, that's out of their hands that they have no say in. Um, so, of course, Russia is agitating this and they're they're provoking it because they know that most libertarians dislike the American government, the absolute monster that the federal government has become over here. And it has far exceeded its constitutional limits, I would say. So... I think Russia is involved in a lot of these uh, what they call boogaloo groups. Have you heard about these? Yeah, the uh, the Proud Boys spin off the and the yeah. gun loving um, river. Not, not gun loving. You know, they they think there's going to be a civil war. Um, yes, they want the end of society, right? Yes. So basically, they want to overthrow the federal government. They want to localize control. They want to sort of balkanize the United States. And there are a lot of these people out there. And it's not just the Proud Boys who tend to be social conservatives, but also the Boogaloo movement. They tend to be almost right-wing anarchists. They don't, mm -hmm. they're not so motivated by uh, civic virtue concerns or anything like that. They they just want to decentralize the power. And these people are armed and they, they intend to do something. And there have been a lot of them arrested over the last few years because, you know, they have these terrorist plots against the government or whatever. And I, I do believe that Russia is involved in stoking this because as if America were to collapse, then NATO would lose a lot of its support, right? Militarily, financially, and otherwise. So of course, of course, the United States, or of course, Russia wants the United States to collapse. So what I see going on really, really concerns me because I am not that sort of anarchist libertarian. I'm more of a classical liberal, you know, I believe that too little government and you have no freedom. Too much government, you have no freedom. There's some balance in the middle where the government should be protecting your rights. We need some sort of state where, you know, it settles disputes. It um, makes sure we have roads and, and things like that. Just basic services. That's what I want. But yeah, Russia is definitely stoking the more radical people inside the movement. There's a chap called um, 
Ionov, he was being prosecuted or they tried to prosecute him, the DOJ. Um, he was active in Florida, Georgia, and the uh, Californian secessionist movement. Um, now, he's part of the anti-globalization movement. And they also had an in- influence in the Catalan revolution, okay. referendum. And so this guy basically goes around the world trying to get different parts of the states to break away from the, the uh, main country. Yes, yeah, so Georgia. Do we know any uh, American politicians who are active in Georgia who are calling for the breakup of the United States? Yes, I think we do. We know Marjorie Taylor Greene posted something about that exactly, um, yes. exact thing a few weeks ago. And as soon as I saw that, I saw that I knew that was a classic Ion of Line. Um, so that was very interesting. I don't know if she's got anything to do with him, but. That is the sort of thing that he promotes. Um, so yes, there there is a big risk in America at the moment, and I, I'm always surprised that more people aren't actually aware of it or trying to do something about it, or maybe they just can't. I don't know. Hopefully, so, we I can think, talk I, about it later. I, I think we. Well, I know if you, you want to get on with the other stuff. You no, want to no, talk no, about yeah. no, no, no. Um, you go ahead. There have been simmering tensions in the United States since before our own civil war in the 1860s. And so because this is always going on in the background, we don't tend to pay it a whole lot of attention or who is fanning the flames at the moment. So a lot of the states like Georgia, you know, they can't stand other states that are more left leaning like New York or California. And it almost feels like the United States wants to fly apart at at any given point. But, you know, (laughs) the federal government is kind of holding it together for better or for worse. Sometimes it's for worse. So. Yes, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I mean, she's in with the Trump movement. She's in with the MAGAs. So, of course, Trump, I think, tends to favor Russia and vice versa. So I I think that, yes, those people are involved, uh, that gentleman you mentioned. Uh, Also, Russia had a secession conference in 2016. Did you hear about this? Uh, Yes, I did. Um, It it was actually him that was organizing it. (laughs) It was him that was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was him. They had secession uh, movements from all over the world. They were invited, uh, the Texas secession movement, the California, Puerto Rico secession movement, but also from Europe, of course, Catalan. And uh, there were were a few others that were over in Europe. I think maybe the Basque area. I can't remember. But um, I think the Scottish nationalists were invited, but turned it down. Um, But yeah, this is the AGMR, the the, um, anti-globalization movement. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Russia is trying to pull this quilt apart at the pieces is concerning you know and i think that we need to be mindful of that and i think one of the great things about nafo is that we're actually sort of pointing this out now where there was no organization doing that before everyone was afraid to talk about it in the media for whatever reason so i'm glad that nafo exists i'm glad that we can counter the disinformation and we need to keep working on this that actually ties nicely so i just want to ask you one question so what in your view is the strength of nafo and do you think there's anything that other, let's say, sane libertarians can learn from it? The strength of NAPO is that it's completely decentralized. It's headless. And there's no one for Russia to attack. You know, if they came over and gave me polonium and I died, <laughs> like they did to that guy in uh, London, you know, that's okay. NAPO keeps going. NAPO is everywhere. It's all over the place. It's like Antifa. I mean, you can't, you can't stop it. The other wonderful thing about NAFO is that it's completely flippant. I mean, it's just it's just so absurd. It it it's it's based on mockery of Russian disinformation, of Russian propaganda. 
And how do you mock mockery? You can't. I mean, once someone trumps everything with humor, they win. They win. And we're doing that with our stupid dog memes and, you know, our, <laughs> our absolutely ridiculous jokes. I mean, we are showing how absurd they are and they can't do anything about that. And they are wholly unprepared to deal with that. That's what's funny about it. So uh, those are the two strengths that NAPO has. Um, what the Libertarian Party can learn from that, they seem to be rather resistant to realizing that they have been propagandized by Russia. And a lot of libertarian news sources, a lot of libertarian influencers are, if not on the Russian dole, uh, definitely a little too close to the Russians for comfort. For example, the Ron Paul Institute. There are conspiracy theories going around as to who is funding the Ron Paul Institute. Uh, I think it's the this old Russian oligarch, I forget his name, Mendiv or something like that, um, who may have been involved in financing Ron Paul. But I think NAFO needs to do more to reach out to libertarians. Um, I'm doing what I can on with my own limited reach. Uh, NAFO tends to speak a language that's a little different than libertarians. That's part of the problem. I, NAFO tends to be more... I don't know. I, I would say centrist as opposed to libertarian, right? I don't see too many fringe people in NAFO. I see a lot of uh, people in the middle. And they're talking about how, you know, the European Union is good. NATO is good. The average libertarian doesn't see that. The average libertarian thinks about political decentralization all the time, all the time. And of course, that's why they tend to have an affinity for the Russian propaganda. So I, I think we need to do better at reaching the people who don't see government as an asset. That's interesting because I actually saw like a mirror discussion with some leftists today. They 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 criticized NAFO because they're pro they say, oh, it's pro-NATO and pro-EU and it's, it's pro therefore it's pro-capitalist. And it's like, I don't like Russia, but I don't like that. And I think and I actually tried to say, hey, no, actually we've got people from all over the spectrum. But right. I, the thing is it's a bit of a tricky one because I think as soon as you try to appeal too much to one group, then you're going to get accused by another group of pandering. But yes. I think but I think that there is a, a, a case to be made that individual NAFO members who perhaps feel um libertarian or the other side on the more left can try to utilize a language and go, Hey, you don't have to agree with that. You don't like this is something I always try to stress to people. You know, you don't have to agree with what every member is saying. We all hold very different views. I disagree with quite a lot of fellas. Also, some of my favorite people I speak to on Twitter have quite different views. And probably if I put them in the room together, they would argue a lot. And I would probably argue with them too. But yeah, it's actually a really good point because you said that so libertarians think about in terms of decentralization. Now, whether right. you know it, but we are also a decentralized movement. So I think that is something which isn't common there. I think there's also there is a cultural context, um, a cultural difference because you know talking a lot of American libertarians might not quite understand why actually EU libertarians might support the European Union because okay it's government and it regulates things but in many ways it's about free movement of people and free movement of goods within quite a large area that they, they, they and for people in Eastern Europe particularly. Um, the same as when I talk to like socialists as well from Eastern Europe, they go, "Yeah, NATO is not great, but the choice is that or Russia, so I'm going to pick that." It's it's right. sort of practicality that I think that Americans are quite lucky you've not had to deal with because <laughs> right. you, you you're just quite far away from anyone who's going to invade you. You're, you're, the the biggest threat you faced is your own government, and that's true whether you're a leftist anarchist or whether you're a right wing libertarian or whatever. Right. This has generally been your enemy, and I don't think you quite grasp how it feels to really have another threat. Right. So I, I think a lot of many 
libertarians in the United States, uh, they don't understand that NATO has kept the peace in Europe for 74 years. The reason that Russia invaded Georgia, the reason they invaded Ukraine is because they're not NATO countries. Had they been NATO countries, it would have been a very different story. I, I, I think the average American in general has trouble wrapping their mind around that. Why are we even involved in this thing that's happening overseas? Who cares? Well, if you look at the history, I mean, we had to get involved in two world wars that we didn't want to get involved in. So the solution here is NATO, right? We're going to get Europe all working together so that they can defend their common interests, you know, not being invaded by Russia. Hopefully, maybe one day we can pull out of NATO once all these countries in Europe are, you know, doing well financially and they have a good military base. At that point, you know, you know, the United States could withdraw its support and NATO would be able to stand on its own. I think maybe that's the way to sell it to uh, American libertarians. And I've been working on that, but, you know, I'm getting some pushback. Well, government never gets any smaller. And, you know, <laughs> our defense spending never decreases, which unfortunately is true. But I think what I would like to see is I would like to see the Russian Federation collapse into smaller states. Right. I mean, yes, national divorce, but over there. <laughs> you know, once that threat is neutralized, the need for NATO almost goes away, you know, it's not entirely. It's interesting, though, because I think there is a discussion to have, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, like, was NATO a necessary institution? Could we, it had it perhaps dissolved, it would be in a different state of affairs. The thing is, it's a very high, like, it's an interesting discussion, but it's very hypothetical. That's not where we are now. Like, before this war, like, sorry, the full-scale invasion, I was very much a NATO is a necessary evil. Um, we need it, but I don't really think, I, I would love it if we didn't need it. Whereas now I'm like very much, no, nope, we 100% need NATO. This is something valuable to the world. And for all its flaws, the same as the European Union and government in general, um, for all its flaws, it's a ne- it's, it is pragmatically necessary. And yeah, my younger self would disagree with that, but but that's not where we are anymore. Um, nope, no, it's it's absolutely necessary at the moment. I mean, NATO is the only thing protecting those uh, Baltic states. You know, yeah. I mean, those tiny little states like Estonia or Latvia, they would get overrun very very quickly if it weren't for NATO. So, I'm glad it exists. It has allowed those smaller countries, those Eastern European former Eastern Bloc countries, to flourish. I mean, look how well Estonia and, and Lithuania are doing. That would yeah. not happen if they had still been in the Russian sphere of influence. Yeah, and actually that's a good point that you could possibly use to sort of sell to like market libertarians because you know Estonia's got quite a robust market economy. It's uh, right. It's loads of great startups have come out from there, um great tech, um things like this. Um and that has happened because of these supranational bodies that have been there to protect them right and uh, that that's another problem uh, many american libertarians are not very well educated on what russia is or what's going on over there russia is not a libertarian country no way everything is illegal in russia and i i know a lot of you know russian nationals people who have immigrated here they speak of horrific oppression even today even after the fall of the ussr it's still going on in Russia. It's not a true market-based economy. It's a kleptocracy. That's what Russia is. Um, speech is criminalized. Uh, movement is sometimes criminalized, especially now when they have you know the draft going on. This is not something we want to emulate. And this is not what we want exerting influence on the rest of the world. Because 
also another problem that libertarians tend to have is they tend to be hyper-focused on what's going on locally or in their own country. And they don't realize that tyranny anywhere is a threat to freedom everywhere. You know, had, had we ignored Hitler and he had taken over the UK, say, who knows, the entirety of Europe would be under Nazi control, maybe today, and it would be a threat to us. We we have to think about what's going on beyond our borders because it is a threat to our freedom here. Yeah, and that's not to necessarily condone US or Western military interventions that have been very questionable. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it doesn't, you know, saying the US has a role in securing Europe from Russian invasion isn't the same as going, I don't know, the Iraq war was justified. They're completely different things. And no. It, it, you are correct. I mean, the Iraq war was not justified. I was not on board with that at all. We were the bad guys in that war. We should not have been there. It made no sense. I, to this day, I'm questioning what we were actually doing there. I have a feeling it was about oil pipelines. But yeah, and, and it's unfortunate that the United States lost so much credibility in that instance, because, you know, people were basically on our side when we were attacked on 9-11. And they said, okay, we understand you going to war with Afghanistan and trying to find these people who did this. But we, you know, snowballed that into Iraq. And man, that that cost us a lot. And now Russia is using that as propaganda against the United States. Well, look, they're still still imperialist and all this other stuff. I mean, I'm hoping that we're past that era in our history. But a lot of libertarians here in the United States still see us as the bad guy. And that's something we need to work on. You know, I mean, generally speaking, the United States wants to do the right thing. I mean, we're at the mercy of whoever's in charge every four years. But we're we're, we're trying to do the right thing, I would like to think. Okay, Matt, do you want to introduce us? Yeah, yeah. so we're going to go for our interlude. We're going to talk about the craze, Russian craziness this week and memes and copium. And I've got a couple of extras in here um, this week. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to run a, a thought experiment, I think I'll call it, and we'll, we'll give that a go. Um, but the first copium is, is especially for Pingu. So it's um, Chen Hua, uh, Chen Win Hua. I'm sure Pingu can... Uh, fix the uh, pronunciation later um but he's a, a chinese journalist who visited europe this week and you will have seen that our account tweeted it out um he was complaining that twitter was suppressing him and i i was lucky enough to be able to reuse my Ulanov impersonation um when do these people learn that they're not being suppressed by twitter it's just that no one wants to listen to them and it was absolutely brilliant it was a mirror image of Ulanov. And I was I was so pleased because I could use the video. It is an irony for any like Chinese state-related officials to complain about censorship. Censorship, it's just hot. <laughs> hell I could not believe it. It was absolutely hilarious. Oh dear, dear, oh dear. Um, and my other, I, um, I found this amazing video, and then I, I so I posted it out, um, just with a couple of words, and it. I think it's it, the NAFO language and the memes we use have become so ingrained that I don't actually think that you need visual images anymore. And this is, I'm just going to play you guys some music. Hopefully you can hear it. And if I say two words and then just think about the images that you hear from this piece of music, okay? So here's the two words. Okay, this is a Mobic medley, okay? Okay.
we go. <laughs> so whenever I listened, to, I listened to that and all I could think about was the Russian soldiers just running around everywhere, being <laughs> hammered by grenades and tanks driving into trees and things like that. And and I just I just realized that maybe I've watched too many of these videos. Maybe I've been hanging around with Nafro for too long. But as soon as I heard that, that is what I saw. And it was just absolutely hilarious. I did not need any images, just the music. Oh, God. So that reminds me of the video I saw recently where uh, that guy was slipping in the mud over and over again. He's some Russian. See that one? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> you should put yeah. the uh, video with that music. Yeah. There, there, there was another one. There was another group of tanks on that were on a plane. And the Ukrainians had artillery on the hills look, overlooking the planes. And they saw the tanks driving on. And they got absolutely. And the tanks just dispersed. And someone put it to a Benny Hill music. And. <laughs> I think it's just getting to the point where the incompetence and the stupidity, it, it doesn't, you don't actually need the images anymore because that's visualize it. You, you can visualize it in your mind. And I'll be interested to, to see if that music does that for people who listen to it. There we I'd go. like to point out, I had no idea that this was Matt's plan. I had no <laughs> idea that he had something planned. And I was like, okay. And then, just blasted me that music. Oh, <laughs> I, I think it's brilliant, the strategy of just making them look how they actually look. Totally incompetent. You know, because Russia, they have this, like, really macho chest beating, you know, Putin's going to take off his shirt and ride a horse image. And if you make them look as stupid and silly as they actually are, that's really effective in undercutting the morale, even, of the Russian army. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny because... You know, a lot of you know Western films. You always had like Russians as the bad guy, and it, it always made them like big and strong and tough and manly. Yeah, and so wrong, so way off. <laughs> Especially yeah. now, when you know the Wagner Group is cleaning out the prisons, and you know, who are these people? They have no combat experience whatsoever, and they're just being thrown in the field with no training. And it's yeah. I almost feel bad for them. They they have actually started uh, recruiting female prisoners now. Well, when I say recruiting. Um, yep. So the female prisoners have been put on to trains and are heading to Ukraine. Um, Has that been so, sorry? Has that been confirmed? Yeah. Going well. Uh, morale is high. Morale is indeed high. And the, this is the. Uh, so when you see this, is, this is the, the the tough guy image just being utterly destroyed within what, twelve months, just gone, hasn't it? So from those VDV videos of the guys doing martial arts to people quite happily putting Benny Hill music to the over the top of their their maneuvers is just uh you couldn't have predicted it I don't think could you speaking of um faux, faux macho people who have um completely uh, fallen apart I want to talk about mag the recent Magas war ultra Magas war with NAFO because this has been one of the funniest few days on social media. I think I've had quite a while calling us fury, fury pussies. Fury. <laughs> um, everything just so bad. And their memes are so bad and everything has just been so funny. I just, I don't know how they can sincerely make these memes Like they put the pictures of us and go like, these are your enemy. I'm like, I'm sorry, you created that. And how are you not laughing? <laughs> like you, you, what is happening here? And it's funny because I think 
like the tankies and the other people that hated us from the start. They were quite online. They watched us from the start. These people are generally a bit in their own bubble, and so they're not quite as first in internet terminologies as we are. And like they've discovered us for the first time, and they're talking to each other in just such a funny way about us. I, I just it's possibly uh, been so much we, fun. This faith, if anyone is interested, um, faithandfreedoms.com. I don't know if Kevin is aware of that website, but it's called faithandfreedoms.com. You can buy a very fine range of anti-NAFO t-shirt merch. <laughs> which has unfortunately been hijacked by a certain group of uh, NAFO people, but never mind. <laughs> Good. Um, but if you if you want some funny funny merch, then head over to faithandfreedoms.com. Um, We've got like, a cute little dog, and it says NAFO socks in like the worst font. It's so funny. I really want this T-shirt. I really want this. <laughs> the, those are the same people who say the left can't meme. Yeah, over and over again. <laughs> oh, just so funny the mag i mean i don't know how real some of these bot accounts are because they have like almost verbatim bios it's always yeah. combat vet, ultra mega christian and like it's always the same like several words i mean maybe it's just the demographic but i really it seems suspicious some of them and we, i think there's got, a few we reversed image search someone this morning and she's actually from kazakhstan mm -hmm. really um yeah she was an ultra mega vet um and huh. she's actually from Kazakhstan, but um, there you go. Well, yeah, she actually really like. Yeah, she's from Kazakhstan, so make Almaty great again, you know. And she's a veterinarian <laughs> in Kazakhstan, so maybe she was as Astana. Yeah, mate. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. oh dear. So there we go. It, it's been very interesting. I, yeah, I think I'm interested in it. How and why we suddenly appeared on their on their radar? It came out of nowhere, but. Was that it's interesting. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. It's the algorithm, though. It's Twitter's new algorithm, which shows you what you hate. And I think somehow they found us. And right. Hate. Okay. So it's the other way around. Okay. I think but that's my it, guess. It could be. It could be that this is an official operation. I mean, MAGA was largely boosted by the Russian disinformation machine. You know, mm -hmm. the Internet Research Agency, whatever. Could be that they're turning their sights on NAPO now. They are just overrun because they can't control us. But they've hired the worst people in the world to do that. <laughs> yeah, so the, they're using our hashtags. They're using our hashtags, and they're selling T-shirts for us. Um, so um, I'm not 100% sure that it's going going quite the right way for them. That is the most Russian way of doing something, just making it 100 times worse for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Come on. Hey all, Pingu here again. While the lads grab a coffee, I'm here to remind you to feed the wolves. You can make donations at georgianlegion.com.ua or to the Night at 24 Ukrainian Government Project at u24.gov.ua. Noot noot vaknik. Now back to your regular scheduled programming. Yeah. Kudos to you. It's not easy to create content on a regular basis. Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> um, having having Pingu as an editor really does help, though. I I failed miserably. <laughs> Our first episode took six months to publication. Really? <laughs> but we got the there. We episode, got there. The, the second it's episode. Just awful. Me. Yeah, it was, I'm just awful at it. I'm sorry. But, um, but Pingu is a just seems to be able to pick up the flow and. 
Yeah. Our first episode clocked in like two hours something, and he got mm -hmm. it down to like an hour and ten mm -hmm. minutes. Yeah. I'm not uh, familiar with Pungu. Is that a, sort of a program or something? No, it's our editor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's his name what on Twitter. <laughs> I was thinking, is, is that some sort of podcasting editing program? <laughs> you may as well be. <laughs> He's yeah. a nebulous internet brain out there. Yeah, yeah. Lord. That is a good way of describing him, actually. And I'm going to make him change his bio now. He yeah. needs to be internet brain. Nebulous internet brain. Yes, that is definitely him. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to make sure this that appears in the podcast. Make some memes of him. It's like the yeah. Brain <laughs> in a vat or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we finished with that Nicopian. We finished with that. So I guess where I'll get into the the meat of the topic. So yeah, I want to give a. So actually, I'll give a bit of background on myself. So my my master's thesis was actually I talked about different strands of libertarianism. So I find libertarianism like a super interesting ideology. So I wanted to give a bit of an overview for the people listening who might not know loads about it i'm not going to give you a whole in-depth history of philosophy you can you know you can go find that yourself but what is so libertarianism as a core terminology you know uh is, uh, originally is more is close to anarchism uh it was generally seen as quite egalitarian um it, it was about reducing the state but you know sharing property and things like that um but the, generally today it's used to, to define a mix of classical liberalism what are some more other radical ideologies which generally emphasize a small state and you know increasing freedom by reducing the state and giving people as much freedom as possible there's a lot of debate about what kind of freedom but that's you know, that's not for this podcast to get into um and its, it's roots are the Amer the roots of this version which is quite an american concept it's not an insult it just it is uh, you go back to people like John Locke, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Thomas Paine, and a few others who generally advocated for protecting property, protecting uh, individual freedoms. But generally, yeah, um, it was quite an American concept. And in the 20th century, it sort of changed quite a bit. It sort of adopted classical liberalism, which believed the state should be small and free trade should flourish. And some of them went more radical and sort of advocated for the idea that taxation is theft and things like that, which is interesting. They came from this guy called Robert Nozick, who actually said that he wished he never said that because it was misconstrued. He wasn't saying it's quite slavery. He just meant it's, it's similar because one of the core concepts of libertarianism is like the non-aggression principle. There's the idea that the state should not interfere with people and people should be protected in their freedoms. And when the state does something like tax or regulations, it is in a form controlling you. Now, many libertarians now generally, from what I understand, they accept there might be some need for taxation, some regulations. Um, but generally, the goal is to reduce that as much as possible and to decentralize as much as possible to increase freedom. I think like a libertarianism, I think it once time it became quite prominent, I would say probably, at least for me, was during the Iraq war. We saw people like Ron Paul, who called himself a libertarian. I disagree that he is, but OK, they sort of oppose the war and things like that of the Republican Party. But they supported things like free trade and other things like that and reducing the state and other means. But generally, we've seen the Libertarian Party, they fielded a they, they've grown they grew, I would say, in past tense because they they had they fielded Gary Johnson in 2016, um, and who described himself, if I recall, as a bleeding heart libertarian. But then we've seen since then they basically become hijacked, as as Kevin said earlier, by the Mises uh, caucus who 
seem to hate everything about freedom, which I don't really understand what they're doing. Uh, so that brings us to today. So that was my very brief over, well, attempted brief overview of libertarianism. I could talk about it a lot, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I got, maybe Kevin disagrees if I missed something important. But yeah, one thing I'll add, uh, you have it down basically uh, correct. One thing I'll add though is that any group from the outside looks like a monolith, but as you get yes. inside it and you start looking at it carefully, you realize there are all these different factions, and really they just have a common goal, and the common goal among all libertarians is that we want to reduce the size and power of government. But there are hundred different types of libertarianism. There's left libertarianism, right libertarianism. There's there's agorism and 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 anarcho-capitalism, and there's, there's so many different varieties of it. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I was really tempted to go into all that, but I realized I, I yeah. don't know how much people want to listen to that. Because, uh, but yeah, I find it super interesting. Um, but that was my thesis. I was looking at left libertarianism and what makes it distinct from both like normal, let's say, standard liberalism, like welfare state liberalism, and also what makes it different from like right libertarianism. So that this, I find this super fascinating. But um, yeah, this we're not a ideology podcast, but yes, you right. are correct. There is a there is a lot of diversity within libertarianism, and that goes into other countries as well in different contexts. But yeah, generally, like you say, yeah, it's about reducing the state in some capacity. Let's talk a little bit about the Libertarian Party then. So I talked about Gary Johnson and how the Libertarians have sort of had like a moment and then it sort of just disappeared with and the Mises Institute. So what can you tell me a bit more about that? So Gary Johnson had wide popular appeal. Uh, he wasn't terribly popular with the Libertarian base, which was interesting, right? Because he's not a hardcore guy. He's not a fundamentalist. He's more of an everyman who can speak the language of libertarianism to regular people, which is why he had such widespread appeal, which is why he got 4.4 million votes. I mean, that's a lot of votes for a libertarian candidate, more than any in history. So the next election after that, uh, Joe Jorgensen was our candidate. And I, I think that the election in general was so heated because of Donald Trump that it actually pulled votes away from the Libertarian Party. You know, they, they often accuse us of taking votes from the two major parties, but I think the reverse happened with the last election. And Joe Jorgensen, I mean, she's a great candidate. She's very good on the fundamentals, but I don't think she had the same sort of charisma that Gary Johnson had. So we didn't do as well in that election where she ran. I think that was 2020. What has happened since, though, is the uh, Mises Pact takeover. And do you want me to get into that and how that... Yeah, because I think it relates directly to how Russian influences come in. Because a lot of these guys have been promoting the Russian stuff, right? Uh, I think yep. I think, I think it's important we talk about this. So yeah, I have I mean, seen... Sorry, I, I was just going to say, the, the Constitution protects, is, is literally designed to protect people's freedoms, isn't it? You've got the three different branches who are checks and balances against each other. And it was Correct. specifically designed to protect against government overreach and control of people's lives. And you had people coming from all over the world specifically for the American view of freedom. And right. the, the people who are in your ex-party now, I guess, that is it's as much as a shock to me as it was in the in the left, who they 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 seem to support something which is fundamentally opposed to their actual beliefs and it's it's bizarre and I'll, i'd just love to hear more about that so uh, i'll go into the background of what the mises pack is um i 
used to be friends with Michael Heiss, the man who started the Mises Pack. I mean, we used to hang out and everything. He lives in Pennsylvania with me. I saw it start from very humble beginnings to becoming this absolute monster that it is today. What they believe is a form of libertarianism called hoppyism, right? After Hans Hermann Hopp. And I don't consider it a form of libertarianism because libertarianism at its core is egalitarian, right? Power resides at the bottom with the people. But somehow it mutated into this thing where they think that the most freest society that they could possibly have is a monarchy. And there's this whole movement online now called neo-reactionaryism. It's also called the Dark Enlightenment. Basically, they think that there should be one strong leader at the top who has complete control over everything, and those at the bottom have no say in the political process. They are actually anti-democracy, these folks. So I, I don't consider this a form of libertarianism at all. This, this seems like authoritarianism to me. And the entire Western world has moved away from this style of government, right? Even in places where they still have monarchies, the monarchies are limited by a constitution. Any country that I would consider free is not the sort that's set up the way they want things to be. So the Mises Pack is basically, it, it revolves around this sort of concept of there should be one strong person at the top and no one has any say. And it's actually structured like that, right? So Michael Heiss himself is at the top of this thing and he gives orders and it filters down to the bottom. And these people follow his orders at convention, which makes them a very potent weapon. He started off very simply, right? I mean, I saw him try to take over at the, the 2020 Pennsylvania convention. He had 30 people there and, you know, it wasn't enough, not nearly enough. Uh, at the 2021 20, convention in Pennsylvania, they actually brought in two tour buses, unloaded a whole bunch of delegates. I was sitting at the credentialing table and I, all these people lined up that, my God, the line went out into the parking lot, into the street. That's how many people they brought. However, because of our bylaws, they, most of those people weren't allowed to vote. They had not been members for 180 days. So a takeover was prevented in Pennsylvania in 2021. 2022 came along. Well, they had all those people that were still uh, members. So they had their 180 days in. They were able to vote. They took the state party over. They took a number of state parties after that. And then finally in Reno, the national convention in 2022, they took over the entire party. They had a two-thirds majority in Reno. So I watched this thing go from basically like this philosophy club where We'd sit around drinking beer. And I actually used to be in the Mises Caucus back when I thought it was about Austrian economics and, and Ludwig von Mises, right? But it, it, it somehow changed over time. There, I don't know if it's audience capture or if someone is exerting influence on them to become this like ultra right-wing thing. But it wasn't like that at the beginning. Now they have complete control of everything and the entire flavor of the party has changed. It's very, very different now. I don't know where they got all the money for this takeover. They were paying for transportation for people. They were paying for meals. They were paying for plane tickets. They were flying people to Reno. Where did they get the money for this? This is third-party politics in the United States. No one has the money for this. You know? <laughs> this is it's a ragtag group. I mean, we we do this for the love of it, you know, because we believe it, but I, I don't know where the funding came from for this. And that, that's one of the things that concerns me. And then once they take over, all this Russian propaganda is coming out of the national party, of the state parties like LP New Hampshire. They're probably one of the worst. I mean, they're... I've seen them. Yeah, the stuff they post is vile. I mean, it's anti-Semitic. It's just, it's, it's you know, they, they make comments about Black people on Martin Luther King Day. I mean... The, the things they do are just nuts. So 
why did everything change as soon as they took over? Why why is this Russian propaganda coming out? Are they being paid by Russia? I I have questions about this. Yeah, I think where do you think these the voters where are they coming from? Like I've heard some people say they actually were from the Republican Party or from other far right parties. Is that an element of truth about? Yes. So I was executive director for the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, and I sat at the credentialing table and I actually credentialed people. And one of the criteria that people need to meet to vote at our convention is they have to be a registered libertarian voter. And we register by party in Pennsylvania. Many of these people who were getting off that bus were registered Republican or registered. Some of them were registered independent, but they were not registered to vote properly, so they were not able to vote at our convention. So I saw firsthand that these are Republicans that they're bringing in, largely. Um, I don't want to name names, but we know the names. We know who these people are. Michael Heiss himself has said online, and I have a screenshot, which I can send you. Um, he wanted to go to the Young Americans for Liberty chapters and recruit these ultra conservatives to become libertarians for a day. And he said it like that to take over these state parties. So he is going out and recruiting these far left or far right people, I'm sorry, to become libertarians temporarily to so that he can take over these state parties. So that's really interesting. So do you think that these people they're motivated by this Hoppian idea like of like an authoritarian ruler and it sort of explains, you know, why they seem to be more upset by LGBT people and immigrants and things like that than they do about any all the terrible stuff you could argue is a legitimate libertarian concern about the U.S. state or something like that, or other countries, for example. Yes. So there's a huge amount of overlap in that Venn diagram between what the Mises Pack wants and what the MAGA people want, right? If you mm -hmm. think about it, you know, the MAGA structure is one strong man at the top and all his followers down at the bottom. It's a monarchy type system. Russia has the same thing, right? So there's ideological overlap there. There's a common goal. And I think that the Mises draws heavily from the Mises or the MAGA people. And there's way more MAGA people out there. They're not nearly as philosophical, of course. It's more of a cult of personality. But I, I think there's a symbiotic relationship there. And I think the same people are possibly, you know, fueling both. But libertarianism in the US has had these sorts of people for a while. I mean, like I mentioned Ron Paul, you know, he had those questionable comments about black people before. Ross right. Butler. Rothbard, was it Rothbard who made yep. like a phrase of Stalin and some weird things? There, there has been this thing, and I, I do wonder if it's an American thing because of like America's history with with slavery. So defending property is maybe associated with defending slavery. I don't. I'm not saying every libertarian is that, but I'm saying is there something in the background there that is always there? Like there seems to be these different libertarians as those who are like, I want freedom because I believe in the goodness of people and I want to create a more free and fair society. And I'm an egalitarian. I, I want to give everyone like equality. I want to treat everyone equally. Or there's a libertarians that I want to have a free society so either I can control others or because I hate democracy or something. There seems to be these very different people coming together under the umbrella of libertarianism. I so wonder, yeah. I, I personally call these people the sociopathic libertarians. You know, <laughs> they want freedom for themselves and no one else. So th they want to create these Hoppian, you know, like uh, covenant communities, they call them, where, you know, they are in charge and they can expel undesirables, you know, minorities or sexual minorities. or it, it, Their idea of freedom is being able to remove people they don't like. And yeah, mm -hmm. there's always been this undercurrent in American society. I mean, going back since forever, since we stepped off the boat here. And it's unfortunate. And a lot of these people, they're, they're not libertarians. They are 
cultural conservatives, mm -hmm. but they are afraid to call themselves that for whatever reason. Maybe it's not cool. I don't know. So they come to the Libertarian Party. They they try to call themselves libertarians. I remember, you know, way before the Mises Pact takeover and everything, we would have these libertarian meetings. People would come over. Oh, yeah, I'm a libertarian. Oh, great. So you want to legalize sex work? Well, no. You want to legalize all drugs, right? No. Well, that's crazy. And you want to open the borders so immigrants can come in, right? What? What, what the hell? And they'd leave <laughs> because they suddenly realized libertarianism is about freedom for everyone, not just a specific group of people. So now, unfortunately, the party has been captured by people who are sociopathic libertarians, I call them. So, so um, what exactly? So you set up the Keystone Party, right, as a sort of alternative? Yes. After the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania was taken over, a bunch of us who were sort of disgusted with everything that had happened up to that point. And there's a lot of backstory there, too. Their takeover tactics aren't just about convention. It's about the constant harassment of people who are running the party or volunteering. Um, we left and we just started a whole new uh, political party in Pennsylvania. It's only at the state level so far. We're thinking about taking it nationwide soon. Um, it's a true classical liberal party. If you read our platform online, you'll see that it's it's similar to the Libertarian Party, but it's, it's not. You know, I mean, they're we understand that government is a necessary evil. You know, I mean, if if a corporation is out there polluting the environment, something has to be done about that. We can't pretend that the invisible hand of the market is going to take care of it. So we have a slightly different take on things. You know, we, we see that regulation is sometimes necessary as a last resort. Um, right. And we're, we've gotten some traction. Um, we started the whole party. We filed the paperwork. And we got candidates on the ballot. We spent all summer petitioning because that's how it's done here. We have to get signatures from voters to get on the ballot. We got everything done within about eight months. And we got candidates on the ballot for governor, lieutenant governor, senator. And our top candidate got 25,000 votes in Pennsylvania, which is not bad for a brand new party that only started eight months ago. So we're hopeful. We're hopeful that it'll continue. Also, we're trying to professionalize things. Uh, Libertarian Party is kind of known for being Looney Tunes. <laughs> people, I'm not surprised. Yeah, people with boots on their head and stripping, doing strip teases at conventional national TV. It's 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 known for being a little uh, freewheeling, and I think that that sort of poisons the image of the party. And with Keystone, we're trying to basically project ourselves as being above that. You know, we're not going to act like idiots, but we also want the world to be freer. So we're trying to professionalize it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. I wonder so, if I could. I was just going to. I was just going to say, the, the problems you've described are massive. It's just so similar to the problems we discussed with Jack, and he he described it as poison in the well. And this was in the the UK Labour Party, so it's a it's a may well it's a potential government, wasn't it? So the comparisons are are, are so close. Uh, there has. Do you? think that there's an external influence so so we have galloway and corbyn and people like that in in the uk left that jack was telling us about so you, you're pretty sure that there's external influence or in the in the, in the libertarian party i am 100 percent convinced that there is foreign influence going on there i can't mm. prove it i don't have canceled checks or anything like that i can't show the bitcoin trail but i'm i'm pretty sure that someone is leaning on these people and getting them to do things i mean it would make sense it, it, like you say, it's hard to prove. You don't know how many intermediaries are there, and are they just being amplified online? And it's just a, a, a current that's within America that just seems to gravitate towards these things because it, it does seem that no matter where you go in the world, there's always these authoritarian people that want to create an authoritarian world. It seems, and 
they seem to be the ones that obviously gravitate towards supporting Russia and wanting to sabotage support to Ukraine and things like this. That brings me on to my question now. So what do you think can be done to combat, let's say, people like the Mises pack uh, or people like people who espouse pro-Russian views among the libertarian movement? Well, I think right now uh, the Mises pack is doing a great job of collapsing the Libertarian Party. It's not going to be viable as a political force at all. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, in, in the last few elections, it was beating the margin between the two major parties. So people are starting to think, well, the Libertarians actually hold the balance of this election and we have to woo them. But now they are doing so much to tarnish our image. I don't think that it's I don't want to. I don't mean to say this in a rude way, but I don't think that question is even relevant because it, it won't matter. Mm. They are doing so much to undermine the linchpin factor of the Libertarian Party that you won't need to woo them. You won't have to pull them away. Mm. So then what? what's if there's not going to be a party then? So, so, so what's what's next? Well, I did a 30 tweet expose on what I think happened with the takeover. I don't know if you read that. Uh, basically, I think that the uh, MAGA people were heavily involved in that. I can show that there was a direct line of communication between Trump and Michael Heiss, the uh, leader of the Mises Pact. Um, we know that there was one specific donor, Patrick Byrne, who was the CEO of Overstock, who was not only in Trump's inner circle, but he was in Michael Heiss's inner circle. So there's communication going on there. Patrick Byrne, get this, dated uh, Maria Butina, Russian spy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't know about this, huh? Nope. Maria Butina uh, was arrested and convicted of acting as an unregistered foreign agent in the United States, and she did 18 months in federal prison. She was released, sent back to Russia. Guess what? As soon as she gets there, she runs for, uh, I guess, some political office in her oblast in um, Russia, in uh, Putin's political party. They had a welcoming party for her when she came back, and Putin called her a hero. So... Putin is talking to Maria, who's dating Patrick Byrne. Patrick Byrne is talking to both Trump and Michael Heiss. So, yeah, I definitely have questions as to what went on there. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'll send you the the tweet thread so you can read through and and what I came up with. That's a pretty clear link. You know, it's not like, oh, this guy is like, no, no, that is. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and this is all documented publicly, you know. I mean, this yeah, is yeah. not like conspiracy stuff. This you can look it up. Maria Butina, she's a whole rabbit hole into herself. She was uh communicating with several right-wing groups in the United States. Mm-hmm. The National Rifle Association, uh the Trump camp. I, I don't remember who else. I mean, she has a whole Wikipedia article you can read about. Mm-hmm. I will definitely be doing that. I, I remember her from the NRA, definitely. Yeah. Yes. She was photographed with lots of top-level politicians and members oh, of that one yes yes yeah that one <laughs> yes yeah. yes and and when when i first joined nafo i remember reading some of the the stuff was it new hampshire the lpnh account pretty vile stuff it was like oh, yeah. a it was like a some kind of edgelord teenager type account and I was I was honestly shocked because I, I studied um, parts of the American Constitution at college, and I've always ad- admired it. and And then I, I could not understand it because the whole idea 
was to prevent one person running a country and having massive overreach. And it was supposed to promote freedom, all the things that a libertarian party is supposed to be about. And then you saw this party and it was it was absolutely horrific. And I was just, I couldn't work out what had happened. And then only then when I started reading into it and looking at what you'd done, Kevin, was to try just even to start to understand what the hell was going on. It was just, it's just absolutely bizarre. It's, it's completely flipped it. If you look at the electoral map of the United States for 2020, um, you'll see that the Libertarian Party beat the margin. In other words, the difference between Republicans and Democrats, the Libertarian Party did better than that in several states, several key states that are what we call swing states, right? They decide the outcome of the election because of our electoral college system. If the Libertarian Party implodes, there is a chance that those votes would go to the Republican. They would go to Donald Trump next time, if assuming he's the nominee. I believe that what is happening here, and this is my conspiracy theory, I believe that the implosion of the Libertarian Party is intentional because those votes may go to the Republican next time. If they can get rid of us as a spoiler, it could benefit Trump. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is happening here. Of course, you know, no one's coming out and saying that, but a lot of these Mises Pack people are talking about, for example, Dave Smith. Uh, oh, yeah. But, you know, he was a comedian, right? And, yeah, so-called comedian. He's talking about how we should get behind certain Republican candidates, and he said this publicly. And I asked myself, when in history has any libertarian said that we should back out of a race and endorse the Republican? Who does that? Like we are a entity of our own competing against these two major parties. This is our competition and you want to endorse them? Whose side are you on? So I definitely have some questions here as to what the real motivation was behind this takeover. Yeah, I suppose it could be all sorts of things, but it does sound quite likely, I think, what you're saying. To bring the conversation back a little bit, I'm curious. So if you think the Libertarian Party is pretty much imploding maybe we could say so libertarians such as yourself who who actually value things like freedom who aren't um basically crypto fascists or authoritarians or whatever right where do you think they should go how do you think they can combat this takeover okay so maybe not within the party but you know within society what do you think should be done so this is my personal opinion and i'm going to definitely get some backlash uh within the libertarian community Sure. Right now, those of us who don't agree with the Mises Pact, we're politically homeless. We, we we have no place to be right now. The Libertarian Party has become such an embarrassment that I am ashamed to admit that I was ever involved with it. So what I look at in the United States is the situation of the greater evil. In the past, they've always said that, well, you know, you have to vote for the lesser evil because the greater evil might win. And this is the most important election of our lifetime. And they're always trying to dissuade third party voters from voting their conscience on a third party. But I think that this election coming up, assuming Trump is the nominee, will be, in fact, the most important election of our lifetime. I am not a fan of Joe Biden, but he's not a would-be autocrat. You know, he's not staging a coup attempt on january 6th and that's what it was and they've tried to minimize it oh it's just a protest it's just no i mean that was an election activity that was occurring that day mm-hmm. they were attempting to interfere in the senate's vote count stop it there were people outside chanting hang mike pence the vice president i mean th- this was a coup attempt so uh, i think for this election at least we should hold our noses those of us who are sane libertarians as you call it and vote for the lesser evil. And the greater evil is absolutely Donald Trump. He is the greater evil. Not only do I think that maybe he's captured by the Russian state, I don't know if they have compromise on him or what, 
He seems to do whatever favors Putin, which concerns me for one thing, but also his attempt to stay in power, that self-coup, that's like banana republic stuff. I mean, that that's not what we do here in a rule of law developed first world country. That's just not how things go. So I am very concerned about what's going to happen in 2024. If he wins, we could be facing some sort of disaster. I don't even know what. Like, what is he going to do in power? I, I question his sanity. More concerning than that, what happens if he loses? Because even if he loses, he's going to say he won. And these people who support him are crazy, and they have a lot of weapons. The United States is becoming politically unstable. And I think that those of us who are libertarian but don't agree with what the Mises Pack is doing, we, we just have to hold our nose, vote for Biden or whoever the, the other nominee is, and we have to get this over with. Because it, the, the guy we disagree with is less of a danger than the guy who's going to undo the entire American experiment. And it will have, Trump would most likely have effects on security in Europe and elsewhere. Oh, yes. God knows. And I think, you know, comparing now to, let's say, before Trump was elected, uh, it's probably the only time, uh, but in that first election, I mean, you know, or even during... Um, Trump has shown what he is and what he what so, so you know I've always understood that in America you've had like in the UK it's people vote for the lesser two evils I understand you know some people have voted Republican even if they don't like a lot of things because of like some policy they do agree with or whatever but I I do see a problem with, I, I you know <clears throat> talking to a lot of American friends I have and people I've met from America who t- used to vote Republican they just can't bring themselves to do it anymore and. I, I think he has shown why I think that it is dangerous and it's not just dangerous for America, although you know that's not to downplay it, um, but it is dangerous for all of us. And yeah, I think I agree with that one. Yeah. And Trump has specifically said that, you know, he thinks NATO's a bad deal, right? He, he famously went over to Germany and handed uh, Angela Merkel a bill for what she's not contributing to NATO. I mean, <laughs> if he had his way, we would pull out of that treaty entirely, leaving Europe to fend for itself. And I think, honestly, Europe could fend for itself at this point. I mean, it's it's wealthy enough and there are enough NATO members. But I, I don't think this is the time for that, not when Russia is on the move. And, yeah, th- there's a concern for not just um, Europe, but also what's going on in Syria there. You know, I mean, the Russians are exerting a tremendous amount of control. I have a feeling that has to do with a pipeline that's going through there because they want to have the only pipelines going into Europe. It, it's, it affects the Middle East. It affects everything. It affects what's going on in Latin America, even because Trump is buddies with Bolsonaro. You know, he wants to in- exert his influence down there as well. Uh, Matt, do you have any questions you want to ask? Yeah, I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm just, I was just thinking that it's just a bit depressing because it's like fundamentally I the, I'm quite a libertarian myself as in terms of the, the the legal side of things that people should be allowed to live their lives as they as they see fit without too much interference as long as they're not doing harm to anyone else particularly and it's just depressing that people like um, Kevin in America are having to take the decisions like this and go for Joe Biden who they politically don't agree with but have to just to prevent uh, an even worse thing happening. And that's not what America is about. You know, it was designed and created to avoid these these situations as, from my point of view. And it's just, it, it makes me sad to be quite honest with you. And I, I feel sorry for you, Kevin, that you're in this position. But yeah, I know it's... Uh... May you live in interesting times, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I'm just pleased that um, to be part of NAFO, where we can actually do something about it. And we're taking we take, we're taking on George Galloway in the UK. We're taking on the the MAGA people in America, and it, it's nice to be along for the ride and get to talk to interesting people like yourself. I appreciate yeah. it. No problems. Yeah. I have one last question, and I hope it's like because it, that was a bit of a depressing ending. Um, <laughs> so basically, okay, you know, um, you said earlier about how perhaps like. NAFO does need to reach out a bit more, speak a different language to reach out to libertarians and things like that. But what can we, and I mean we as in all of us who across the divide are united against Russia, and I would say like, this is what we touched upon the last episode, we all agreed that most people in NAFO do value freedom, at least in some way. We we might differ in how we achieve it, we might differ in certain things, but we do generally respect individual freedom. So those of us, that's why we support Ukraine, that's why we oppose authoritarian Russia, right? Those of us like that, we clearly are making some difference within NATO, but what do you think can be done going forward? What do you think that should be done going forward? And so this isn't just about libertarianism or anything, just about combating in the disinformation space and beyond that. Okay, I'm glad you asked this question, because Americans in general, and I won't speak to what's going on in the rest of the world, but Americans in general are extremely propaganda naive, right? We've been propagandized our entire lives by American propaganda. We don't understand it. We don't understand when it's uh, at work or when we hear it. I think we need a better, um, I don't know how you say this. Maybe what we should do is sort of an educational series on how to recognize propaganda, the goals of propaganda when it's uh coming at you a lot of libertarians they think that anything that's countercurrent, anything that's not mainstream must be true mm-hmm. and that's one of the problems we're dealing with so we have these absolute lunatics like alex jones saying whatever he wants and people think oh that must be true because they're not saying it on cnn well we have to show people that not everything that's countercurrent is truth we have to show people that if someone's causing chaos what is their angle why are they doing that I think what we as NAFO need to do is maybe start producing videos on how to recognize propaganda, mm-hmm. how to combat propaganda. Like if propaganda is coming out of Russia, we need to address why. Why is Russia concerned about Syria? Well, because they want to have the only gas pipelines going into Europe, right? Show them a map of where the pipelines are. Show them a map of what Russia wants in Ukraine. They want the gas fields. They want the grain. They want the this and that and the other thing. This has nothing to do with um, NATO. So... I think that we need to not just work harder at combating the propaganda, but also show people what propaganda is, because I think libertarians specifically are sort of blind to it. Mm. They don't know when they're being propagandized. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered quite explicitly, though, because, I mean, I don't know, Matt, you, you know a bit more about the behind the scenes of NAFO. What is there like? Is there like a statistic on how many fellas are from America versus Europe or anything like? Do you have any idea? No, I don't. Um, I I remember I'm a member of so many different groups now that there are um, Japanese fellas, there are um, Thai Taiwanese, there are Germans, there are with all over the place and i do not know the numbers anymore um the reason i ask is i wonder if sometimes perhaps some of us from europe who have been quite engrossed with this stuff mm. for a while second nature some of this stuff for us spotting propaganda and i wonder yeah perhaps but there are people in NAFO who are who do quite a lot to write about uh like identifying it and 
there's some of us who've been studying this whole Russia everything for a while. We know the sources, but yeah, perhaps some more effort needs to be made to those who are. I don't want to say ignorant because I don't want to insult anyone, but like a little bit de- detached, let's say a bit isolated. You need to speak to the everyman, right? And yeah. Convincing libertarians is one thing. Libertarians tend to be a bit brighter than average. What you need to work on is convincing the MAGA people because, you know, I can't say the same for them. <laughs> so <laughs> we need to show them when they're being influenced, when they're being propagandized. And I, I understand that in Finland, uh, someone commented on my Twitter that they have some sort of program in their schools to teach children what propaganda is and when it's occurring. Maybe something like that, something silly and educational. I mean, the thing is, because we're a completely decentralized movement, you know, it's not like we have directives, but yeah, I mean, that is something that maybe someone will hear or will discuss, and maybe it is something that can be born. Um, yeah, I, you're, you're, you're I, not, I you're know. Getting your CIA paycheck? <laughs> no, not um, I, I know, I know some people who can help with that, um, who specifically work with um, misinformation. So that's a good idea. Uh, maybe we should um, discuss it later, um, and you can help us out, Kevin. Um, it's yeah, because just... we've we've been attacking the points of Russian disinformation. Like, all right, yeah, saying that they shelled people in Donbass in in twenty fourteen. All right, we're attacking that point, but we're not attacking the overall structure of disinformation and showing people what it is. Yeah, there's there's a yeah. website called EU versus Disinfo, which is the driest, the most dull <laughs> website on disinformation that you could ever possibly have. It's so dry that you you need to have a, a drink after reading it. It's just. <laughs> It's absolutely terrible. Um, the points it makes, you, you, I've read it. I've read so many different pages, um, and you read it and you go, "Yeah, that's correct. Yes, that's correct." But it doesn't. It, there's no engagement with it at all. Um, so maybe that could be another NAFO project. I wonder. Yeah, we need to we need to memify it. You know. Yeah, exactly it right. Entertaining. Yeah, you're we right. need to make TikTok videos. You know, something that's two minutes long and holds people's attention and shows yeah, yeah. exactly. This is a propaganda technique. Be yeah. on the lookout. Yeah. Do we have a TikTok? I thought we did have a NATO TikTok. Uh, possibly, but I'm sure we can okay. create one because yeah. we are decentralized. I, I just need to uh, speak to the guys in Langley to uh, up the yeah. budget a bit. Yeah. <laughs> My paycheck is late, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Does anyone That's a really have good idea. Does anyone have anything to add? Because I think we can wrap up pretty much. I can. Um, is there anything that you want to say about your oh. Keystone um, group, Kevin, Keystone party now? Um, so Twitter addresses, email addresses, how can people get in touch with you to learn more? How can they help? What sort of things are you looking for? Go ahead. Just, you just say what you want to do. Shout so, out whoever you want to shout out. Yeah. Okay. Our, uh, our website is keystone.party. And it doesn't sound like a web address, but it is Keystone.Party. Uh, our Twitter, I think, is Keystone of PA, and it's just the, um, the state-level party. We're working on the national party, like I said. Uh, check out our platform on our website. I think most reasonable people who are at least somewhat libertarian-leaning will agree with what we're saying. It's it's not really outlandish. It's not crazy. It's It's written to address problems rather than philosophy, and that's something that the Libertarian Party has struggled with for a long time. They want to be philosophically pure, but not mm. practical. We're we're attacking it from the other direction. Like, how can we actually make the world freer? We're not here to sit and navel gaze. So, yeah, definitely check us out if you are interested in actually making a difference instead of, you know, just <laughs> being the best libertarian in the universe. 
yeah, we have a lot of great people. I, I there's too many to thank, really, but definitely check us out on Twitter and uh, the web address. And you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's Gauhan is my last name. That's my Twitter handle: G A U G H E N. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite uh, charities or any organizations uh, related to Ukraine that you'd like to shout out? So I've been donating money to the Georgian Legion because they're out there kicking butt. Also, uh, the official, what is it, uh, U24? Is that the one that um, the Ukrainian government itself runs? So you know it's a legitimate organization. They run fundraisers, crowdsourced uh, drones. Uh, they have naval drones, air drones, uh, weapons that they need. Even stuff, if you don't philosophically believe in providing money for weapons, they have other humanitarian type things like, hey, we need medical supplies. You know, we need food for people. We need winter coats. You can donate money there. And it's an official government Ukrainian organization and they distribute money accordingly. And they are completely transparent in what money they get and where they spend it. So I, th I think that's a good place to put money. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you for that. Um, so, yes, thank you, Kevin, for joining us. That was a really interesting conversation. Uh, nearly two hours. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, thank You're you. welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, great. It's really interesting. Great to meet you. You as well.